0: This is the Disruptive Hope Podcast. Hope sees, hope engages, hope belongs, hope builds. Hope disrupts the narrative of despair and in the tension of holding both sorrow and joy, we invite hope to redefine the lens through which we see and interact with the world. Embrace the challenge and become an agent of hope in unlikely places. Welcome to the Disruptive Hope Podcast. This is our cross-cultural leadership series where we take a deep dive into leadership topics that affect cross-cultural work with Dwayne Wehunt, founder and CEO of SOS International.
1: Bonus episode. Let's go. We are here with the Disruptive Hope Podcast. This is Victor De Silva. I'm your host. I am sitting across the table from our cross-cultural expert, Dwayne Wehunt. And today's a bonus episode. Bonus means we're going to talk about something very, very interesting and specific that came up in one of our episodes. Dwayne, are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. So <laughs> let's talk about the whole helping with natural disasters. Yeah. Or the way we call it at SOS is... External threats, right? This yeah, is one of right. this is one of the categories that would fit under external threats that uh, can expose at risk, you know, or put uh, children at risk in a in a community or honestly in an entire country. Yep. So dis- disaster strikes. Uh, your phone starts to ring. How did you get there? Where Where did it start?
2: How did I get so <laughs> that my phone starts ringing when a disaster happens? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's happened over years. Mm-hmm that's one thing. Yeah. You know when a disaster strikes, there's multiple phases of response. Mm-hmm. Okay? The the phase that that SOS there's actually two phases that SOS would have some expertise in responding to. Okay. The first is the first responder, it's phase one. It's when, you know, let's say, uh, let's take Katrina. Katrina happened, you know, it was a Category 5 hurricane, as we all know, that went through Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, in Louisiana, it knocked down all these pine tree forests and just destroyed the infrastructure. So hard for people to get in and out. There were communities that were completely blocked off. Mm -hmm. And so phase one of doing that is you have to figure out how to get basic needs met. Food, water. Interesting enough in the Katrina days, uh, one thing that became really important was ice. Uh, there was no electricity anywhere. And in those days, if you were a diabetic and you were taking insulin, your insulin had to remain cool. So you had communities that were locked down for, you know, four or five days until forest rangers could clear the road enough mm-hmm. for disaster relief people to get in. And you had to keep insulin cool. So I actually helped unload Black Hawk helicopters from the U.S. military wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. in a place in Louisiana. What? And they were loaded with bags of ice because that was one thing you know we we got water from a water company in pennsylvania and mm-hmm. You know, we had to bring f- truckloads of food in and, you know, just set up. And, and it's our value, right, to work with a local care network. So yeah. we would l- work with a local group and we would stage all that stuff and they would help to serve and love their communities in the middle of a disaster. So the first thing you have to know is what phase you're in. So the the first phase is basic, basic needs, needs. It's keeping people alive. One of the cool things that was a bonus that I had never even thought about that happened with Katrina for me is we were going back into these communities. we the first people there. Mm-hmm. And I had all of these people. I came home with a list of over 300, I think, cell numbers where somebody said, would you call my daughter? She lives in Cincinnati and she doesn't know if I'm alive or not. Wow. Or would you call my, my mom? She lives. In, and I got to come home with a list of cell phone numbers and names and who their loved one was and call those people and say, hey, I just want you to know I talked with your dad. He wanted me to call you. He's okay. Wow. Which was a cool That's thing incredible. to do, right? So the, the first phase is that immediate. The second phase is where you clean everything up. Mm-hmm. The, the third phase is where you build everything back in infrastructure-wise. And of course, like you mentioned, it puts kids at risk, right? Mm-hmm. I remember not too long ago, there was a an earthquake in Haiti. And one of the things, the terrible things that came out of that was there were organizations that were 501c3s that were pretending to do disaster relief, but they were trafficking kids out of there. Oh my and that's one of the things that happens anytime there's a war, anytime there's an open border, anytime there's migrations of people, anytime there's natural disasters, mm. traffickers take advantage of it. Wow. So you're talking about, you already mentioned a lot of,
1: of you know, different types of external threats or disasters that you responded to. What, what other types, what kinds of things have you, you know, answered to call to to help?
2: So, you know, in Asia, if for some reason, you have a lot of earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a lot of earthquake relief. Mm-hmm. As everybody knows, uh, there's been two big tsunamis uh, in the last 25 years mm-hmm. in Asia. We had a big response to both of those. we fed thousands of people mm-hmm. uh, at both of those uh, disaster events. Tornadoes, some, we, we did a lot when the, whatever the size was that went through Oklahoma city, mm. we did a lot of feeding and, and stuff there. Once again, mostly we're, uh, we're at phase one, right. We're mm-hmm. immediate, meet basic needs kind of things. Uh, we did a lot of feeding when there was the flooding in Houston. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was in response to a hurricane, but that hurricane just sat over Houston and rained and rained and rained and rained. And rained. Uh, we took truckloads of food there, mm-hmm. uh, and did feeding with partners, you know, Droughts, there's droughts happening all over the world. It was in a particular part of Asia where it was a major drought on, and, and it, you know, lots of kids were, were starving to death, honestly. There was just no food. Mm. You know, some war stuff, mostly in the war things, it's the migration that happens out of it. Mm-hmm. Never actively been in a war zone, mm-hmm. but been in the outsides of where people are fleeing. Yeah. Creates all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, how do you clothe them? How do you feed them? How do you sleep them? How do you, you know, where are they going to go? How do you yeah. reintegrate them? I mean, there's just so much to it. Yeah. And I mean, we can talk
1: about the war that, that is happening right now. Yeah. Did, did you get phone calls? Did your phone ring about this I, one?
2: I did. I did get quite a few phone calls. I didn't really feel like I was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I did do is I have friendships. Uh, I was actually in the Ukraine a few years back. Mm -hmm. We have some friends that have a great ministry there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have some friends in Poland that are right on the border. And I just started to help them link. So there were huge lines at the border. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, if if you're listening to this and, and you'd like to do something to get involved in that crisis, we have an organization that we love. They're called Prepare International. And they are doing Ukrainian response on the Polish border Mm -hmm. and they need all the help they can get. There's, you know, there's been something like 4 million people flee.
1: Yeah.
2: Ukraine now, and these guys are really reaching out to them, loving them and caring for them. So their website is probably prepareinternational.org. I don't know that for sure, mm-hmm. but but they're a good organization. So, you know, we've talked with them. They have a young leader that's doing that. So I would say in a lot of senses, at sixty years old, my role has changed. Mm-hmm. I've done it enough that I do know what to do. I can just see a pathway layout. There's a lot of similarities in, in things, but I think at this point my role is more helping to encourage and envision mm-hmm. young people that feel like that's their role to step into it.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And in, in your conversations, in your experience, in the discussions that happen around these scenarios, what do you think are the you know long term effects of of a war like this one and the children that now are at risk with everything that's taking place there?
2: I mean, you got to know that especially when we're talking about trafficking. Mm-hmm. Ukraine, Romania. I mean, these are some of the breeding grounds that mm-hmm. traffickers they constantly groom girls in and bring them out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's at pandemic levels before the war. Wow. So, you know, you just know this is creating I mean, people's basic needs aren't met and this creates opportunity for traffickers to groom whole new levels of girls and and take them to places where you know prostitution is legal and mm. and traffic them in there and make money off of them so wow. it, it's difficult i mean this happens in any kind of these natural disasters including war it orphans a lot of kids Mm -hmm. i I remember one time there was an earthquake it was in asia and we were there three days after it happened in one city 150,000 people had died and there were a bunch of of little kids that had died in a parade that just the buildings just collapsed on them and we were taking a tour back through this neighborhood and you know i saw Lots of kids, they're just sitting on piles of rubble. Used to be their house, used to be a mom and dad. Mm. Now what do they do? Where do they go? Well, if the society isn't intentional about how to reach out and protect them, Mm -hmm. there are groomers that will come and take them. Those kids will be... Trafficked. And so, you know, the one thing I mean, the one thing that I hate about responding to natural disasters mm-hmm. is I get these images yeah. that are stuck in my mind mm-hmm. of real suffering. Yeah. Like I said, a kid trying to dig through a fallen brick to see if he can find something of his mom or dad. Yeah. You know, I remember in that same trip, we came out of a neighborhood and there was a, a gentleman. Uh, he was completely in shock. I don't know his story. I do know he was a businessman. He had a very nice watch on. He had very nice leather shoes on mm-hmm. and he was sitting on a wall with his feet dangling and there was spit coming out of the corner of his mouth and it was touching the ground and he was staring in a blank stare. And he was completely in shock, completely. Like he had probably lost everything, right? He couldn't do business. He, he couldn't bank. He couldn't, I don't know about his family. I don't know about his house and the neighborhood we were in, every house got leveled, mm-hmm. you know? So it those images like are the things that sometimes when a natural disaster, when I was younger, it would hit and I would feel like, okay, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. I would feel like, okay, this is something that that I need to go and respond to, uh, or we need to at SOS. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would like see those images and and not want to go, mm-hmm. but you know, you get there and those people are suffering. Yeah, uh, but you get there and you help provide food and and clothing and some place to sleep, and you know, you get to hug people and touch people and pray for people and cry with people and. Mm-hmm do all those things, at some point you realize, okay, i, mean, I have new images in my mind, but yeah. it's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to ask about a specific um, disaster relief that you were a part of with a tsunami that
2: hit Japan uh, a few
1: years ago. Yeah.
2: So that was an interesting one. Uh, Japan is a very modern society and they're very private people, mm-hmm. I would say. And you know they they didn't want a lot of food from the outside mm-hmm. but it's it's critical like it's critical mm-hmm. for people to live. So you know once again, it's it's the networking thing, right? It's the the friendships that have developed yeah over the years. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend that's worked in Asia a long time uh, and I, I called him immediately when I felt like, okay, I'm gonna I, I, I want to respond to this and and do something. And I called him immediately and he said, okay. I know the person that we can get food into Japan through. And I said, okay. And I don't want to give her a name, but she has a fish processing plant with 30,000 employees. Can you wow. imagine? Wow. In China. And she was supplying a lot of the fish for the nation of Japan. For a lot of the nations of the world, mm-hmm. uh, we have it here. We have her fish here in the United States right down the street. I could go down and get some. Wow. But, you know, she voluntarily said, if you can get food here, then what I'll do is we'll take it through as all of our customs do, and I'll deliver it wherever you want in the nation. Wow. So there were only two organizations that were able to get food into Japan, Uh, Samaritan's Purse, which went in through the U.S. Navy, and SOS, which is really strange, right? But it's because of relationship. And then we had a network of local care networks that were already established inside of Japan in those areas that were bordering where it had been hit, and we were able to empower them to do the feeding, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, when you go into these kind of things, one of the things that you have to look at is the supply chain, right? right? Yeah. What What is it that's disrupting distribution, right? So mm-hmm. all these local care networks that we were a part of, we got them food. Then we had to buy them vehicles that they could take food to feeding mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have them. They didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just have to look at that. I, I remember uh, I had a meeting with a professor at the University of North Texas, and he was doing a, a study uh, when nine eleven happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of disaster that. You know, disrupts things. Terrorism disrupts things. Yeah, right. And he was—he specifically was to study, was studying the evacuation of Manhattan. And what it what had happened is all these guys that had owned boats and all these ferries and all these independent businessmen and organizations and just people with boats—they—they mm-hmm. they just impromptu evacuated. Downtown Manhattan. The they just the came and picked people up and took them wow. out of there. Right, I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of people wow. evacuated with no leadership, no plan, no pre-practice, no anything. Right, Mm -hmm. But it was people that saw, okay, what needs to happen? What is disrupted that needs to get these people out? Mm -hmm. And they just responded. And that's what you find in natural disasters is you're looking for where the supply chain is disrupted and how can you encourage local involvement. Mm -hmm. And what do you need to empower local involvement so that they can do it? Because they care more about their community than anybody else.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have that example too here in the US when you have some level of severe flooding due to a hurricane or or something along those lines, you see, you know, hundreds of people with their boats absolutely going down to one, deliver food to people that are stranded or get people out or just be a, a point of connection to people. And you see hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the country that just flood um, uh, to, to these locations in, in help. you know, and of course, as more things happen and those things, become a little bit more organized over time. It has, but in these moments of distress, there, there's not a lot of, there's not a, a lot of time, you know, lives are at stake. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it, it kind of became a thing for us too, even us locally with our uh, warehouse, we have um prepared we are now prepared to respond to um you know disasters that may happen locally where a portion of our warehouse is actually fully dedicated to disaster relief we have a stack and stock of uh you know supplies and water and canned goods and even uh, mattresses, pillows, and so many other different things that people may not think through as uh, as initial, you know, basic needs in when something uh, takes place. And, and when disaster hits locally, whether it's floods, uh, you know, tornadoes or whatever it is that happens, we're ready to go.
2: Even recently, we had fires here. Yes. West of town. And yeah, You know, we had somebody that reached out to us. Uh, They had need of of cases of uh, pallets of bottled water, and we had it in the warehouse, and we were able to to respond and get people get water to a distribution point uh, where people who had lost their houses were having to to live and stay. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know, having resources obviously is important, Mm -hmm. and not stockpiling resources for the Mm -hmm. point of stockpiling resources, but yeah but to be a place where people know they can turn Mm -hmm. if they need something.
1: Yeah. And I I love that that was the case for us. And with these fires that you were talking about, I was, you know, it's, it's affected a lot of people, you know, in a community in communities near us. And I love that, Hey, we need to call SOS because, you know, they're going to help. I I love that. We are that organization that people can reach. Yeah. I love that too. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I want to just touch on something that kind of came up in our, you know, conversations, uh, you know, uh, off air, if I may, um, you know, you've responded to disasters all over the world. And then in 2020, we were all hit with the with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, now we're talking about a, a wide scale external threat that's that changed the landscape of uh, even supply chain and some of the things that you're talking about. It changed the way we interacted with people. You know, we're talking about showing up and, and then COVID takes place. Well, let's talk a little bit about how, you know, how you, you walk through that, that process of responding to, to something that big.
2: I mean, one thing that we did is we made a commitment to expand our warehouse by three times. So we knew we needed more space, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We really did try to focus on local partnerships Mm -hmm. uh, instead of faraway partnerships for local feeding. You know, I'll just use one company. There were multiples, but one company, Cisco Foods, Mm -hmm. you know, they had a built-in distribution center all over our community. Mm -hmm. And they stepped up to the plate and said, you know, if you'll order a certain number of cases, I think it was only 35, uh, if you'll order 35 or more cases, we'll drop it anywhere you want in the metroplex. So it takes away that logistic problem, right? We didn't have to go out and hire a bunch of trucks. We did get one refrigerator truck, thank goodness mm-hmm. uh, because we were able to take some fruits and vegetables and milk and yogurt cheese and mm-hmm. things that provide nutrients and protein and add them to boxes that we were feeding people. Uh, we had a hundred and two different partners that are feeding in the Metroplex. We had lots of Distribution points that were feeding on a weekly basis boxes of foods for families. Mm-hmm. We were part of that farmers to the table program where we could get fresh produce. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was a program that was provided through the federal government. We worked with Texas Department of Agriculture and was able to get, you know, meals and feeding going through them. Mm-hmm. You know, back to Cisco, you know, when the pandemic hit to a point where they shut down restaurants. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you take a company like a Cisco Food. Even at that time, 7-Eleven actually did the same thing for us. Cisco Foods, they have to prepare for what is going to be eaten in the next month and put it in their warehouse. Now, all of a sudden, all their outlets are shut down. Mm-hmm. Every restaurant in, in, in our city was shut down. Yeah. Right. So instead of those people letting things rot and throw them away, they actively sought partnerships with people that could feed those, that food in their warehouse to communities, mm-hmm. uh, to our community. Yeah. So, you know, when you can link that kind of connection between business and businessmen and women who care about their community mm-hmm. and and have resources and be able to link that with families who are their children are at risk because of something happening. Yeah, uh, that's a beautiful marriage, and uh, we saw that our community responded amazingly in the metroplex. And I'm sure that that story was repeated
1: all across the world. For sure, that's no, that's incredible. It's these are very encouraging, you know, stories of uh, of situations that are, you know, mostly out of out of people's control but you can see communities getting together rallying together to solve a problem right that's what that's what SOS is all about it's rallying people within their communities to to solve problems to solve uh, you know uh issues that children at risk are, face, are facing every single day so uh this this has been incredible thank you so much for for sharing your stories about the you know being the 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 natural disaster guy in our area i don't want to be that <laughs> But it's, it's good because SOS has become part of it too. And I love that that DNA that's passed this past along and we love it. We, we want to help. We want to be there. Thank you so much for listening to the bonus episode of the Disruptive Hope Podcast. We are extremely grateful they've spent this time with us. If you want to find out more about SOS, you can go to sosresponse.org and stay tuned for more episodes coming up soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Hope podcast. We would love to connect with you. Subscribe and follow us on social media for the latest Disruptive Hope content. For more information about SOS International, please visit sosresponse.org.